It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tonight on The Readout. Do you feel vindicated? This isn't a question of vindication. It's not a question, as I stated before, about revenge. This is a... My position is that at the end of the day, Donald Trump needs to be held accountable for his dirty deeds if, in fact, that's the way that the facts play out. Plain and simple. This is not about him. This is about holding accountability, truth to power, and everything else in between. Michael Cohen was back before a Manhattan grand jury today. Could an indictment of Donald Trump be imminent? Michael Cohen joins me live in just a moment. Also tonight, remember the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan demanding that the Soviet leader tear down the Berlin Wall? Well, today's Republican Party is, tar- is parroting the talking points of the ultimate Soviet nostalgic, Vladimir Putin, and offering to hand over Ukraine to him as a reward for an illegal war. Plus, today's high-stakes hearing in Texas, which could result in women losing even more reproductive freedoms as Republicans push extreme new penalties for abortion patients, including the death penalty. But we begin the readout tonight with Trump loyalist turned adversary Michael Cohen, who wrapped up his testimony today in front of the Manhattan grand jury investigating the Stormy Daniels hush money payments that he made on behalf of Donald Trump, a.k.a. Individual One, in the lead up to the 2016 presidential election. Cohen's testimony, taking more than five hours over two days, is believed to be the last piece of the puzzle before wrapping up the case. That is, after Trump declined his invitation to speak before the grand jury himself. So now we're in a literal wait and see moment, waiting to see what Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg will do next. Will he bring charges against Trump, marking the first time that a former president gets indicted? And beyond the legal implications are the many, many political ones, as Trump is seen as the leading candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, at least for the moment. Trump has already indicated that an indictment would not stop him from running. In fact, one of Trump's lawyers told my colleague Ari Melber that an indictment would actually help his client's presidential pursuits. If they're pursuing this matter, it's weaponizing the justice system to keep this guy out of office. Donald Trump is going to win the election. And if they bring this case, I believe this will catapult him into the White House. I believe it. Because this will show how they are weaponizing the justice system. They're taking the vote out of the voters' hands. Joining me on the phone is Michael Cohen, former Trump personal attorney and host of the Political Beatdown and Mia Culpa podcast. His new book is called Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against His Critics. To include you, Michael Cohen, uh, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, and I just want to start by asking you, did you get the sense in being in that grand jury, if you can answer that question, of whether this is wrapping up? Hey, Joy. Good to, of course, speak to you. I am a little bit tired. Um, it's been a heck of a couple of days, 
Do I think that it's wrapping up? It appears to be so. Look, it doesn't matter whether I'm in the grand jury room, uh, whether or not I was a witness. I think we all acknowledge that I'm probably the last witness that they need. They've already spoken to. It's been reported by the Times and other newspapers. It's been reported enough people have been before the grand jury, have already provided the testimony. So I think it's a pretty fair thing to say. And you are were clear that they are not asking you back? Yeah, I am not coming back. You know, I was um, subpoenaed for Monday's testimony as well as uh, today's. The DA's office treated me the same as they treated everybody else. So um, I did not receive any additional uh, subpoenas or documents requesting me uh, to come back. So, yeah, I'm pretty safe to say that I'm done. And you have you know, been in to talk with D.A. Uh, Alvin Bragg like 20 times. Like There were multiple interviews. And my understanding of that would be for you to provide not just testimony, not just corroboratable testimony, but also documents. Would that be accurate? Yeah, of course. And, you know, very much like I did with my congressional testimonies, including the live um, House Oversight Committee with the late, great Elijah Cummings. One of the things that I didn't want to be out there is, well, is Michael Cohen credible? Well, everybody's entitled to have their opinion. I believe the answer to that is yes, but I don't even want that question to come up. And so when you start doing um, and when you start bringing documents and emails and text messages and other documentary evidence to the table, it's impossible for that statement um, not to be valid um, or validated. And there is this other question, and that is a good point, because you have testified under oath multiple times, and I've noted on the show that the things that you've said have turned out to be true when it came to the way that Trump treated his properties and their valuations, uh, and this information about uh, the payments to Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels. There is this question of whether Stormy Daniels might testify. And I don't know if, if, if they would have even given you a sense of whether they felt they needed her testimony. This case is not about whether Donald Trump actually had the affair with Ms. Clifford's. It's about whether they tried to pay her off. But did you get any sense from them of whether they feel they, they need to see her in front of this grand jury? No, they're really very professional. And so they didn't bring up the topic with me, um, whether she was testifying, she wasn't testifying, or whether or not they were even speaking to her. You know, they are very closed um, when it comes to that type of information. And you got to give them a lot of credit for it. They're really running the process the way it needs to be run. You know Donald Trump better than uh, most people that, that I know and that have had the opportunity to speak with. Joe Tacopina, his current attorney, uh, went on with our Ari Melber and said that he believes that uh, you know, indicting Trump uh, for what he did in, you know, orchestrating this payoff with yourself and uh, Alan Weisselberg, that that will propel him into the White House. It will make him more likely to win the nomination. And he has said he's he'll run regardless of whether he's been indicted. Number one, how do you think he will re he would react to being indicted for this? And number two, what do you make of Joe Tacopina's uh, political prognostication that it will help him with his base? Yeah. The, so let me start with the second question first. I did see yesterday Joe Tacopina on uh, Ari's show. He's an absolute disgrace to the profession of law. 
You know, you're right. I do know him certainly a whole lot better than Joe Tacopina. What I will tell you emphatically is what Joe is doing right now is he's playing to a party of one, and that's Donald Trump. He will say the most ludicrous nonsense that you can say because that's what Donald wants to hear. And obviously, he's gotten the message requirement from Donald or his people. And so that's what Joe is doing. He's merely just, again, playing to an audience of one. And as I had said also on Nicole's show before, that when you're sitting across the desk from Ari Melber, when you're sitting across the desk from Joy Reid or Nicole Wallace, it's one thing you want to do it on uh, one of these, you know, Newsmax OANs or any of the shows that actually prefer you to say these things. It's another one you're going to have somebody now hitting back at your statements, but hitting back at your statements with facts. And that does not benefit Donald. It doesn't benefit Tacopino. And if he doesn't watch himself, he may find himself like the rest of us, myself, Eastman, um, Bob, and uh, Rudy Giuliani, and a whole slew of other attorneys that have found themselves in trouble thanks to dear old Donald. Yeah, there. Uh, I, I wish I could remember who actually coined the term "making attorneys get attorneys" is the real meaning of MAGA. Uh, that does seem to be the trend. Michael Cohen, uh, author of "Revenge" uh, and the host of the Political Beatdown and Mia Culpa podcast. Uh, Michael, always appreciate you being willing to come on. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And get some rest. Yep, and I will see you soon in person. Thank you very much. That sounds like a plan. Thank you. Okay, let's bring in now Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor, Georgetown law professor and MSNBC legal analyst and Cornell Belcher, Democratic strategist and pollster and MSNBC political analyst. The perfect two folks to talk here about this. Paul, I will start with you. You heard Michael Cohen uh, say that he felt like this is the end, like this was the end game um, and that Alvin Bragg's uh, the uh, grand jury did not indicate whether Stormy Daniels would be needed. Your sense of how close we might be to the end. So, Joy, locking in the testimony of people like Michael Cohen and Stormy Daniels, who could be key witnesses, is a sign that a decision from the Manhattan DA is soon coming. The DA doesn't have a slam dunk case, but he may have enough evidence to get an indictment. Uh, Paying hush money is not a crime in New York. So prosecutors could go after Trump for making a false business report, but that's only a misdemeanor. They could charge a felony by using a a complicated and untested legal theory, but that would be a risky prosecution. So if the Manhattan DA is one of those prosecutors who goes by the theory, you come at the king, you best not miss, he ultimately may not bring the case. But if DA Braggs thinks that he's got all of the evidence he needs and he's willing to take a chance to bring Donald Trump to justice, justice, Joy, things could get really interesting really soon. Really quick to say with you, Vermont and Paul, because there is also the question of where Trump physically would be if he was indicted. Let's say he did take the risk, as you said, to go at the king and he's in Florida. Then all of a sudden you get Ron DeSantis involved in this. He would then have to make a decision. It would be his, I guess, legal duty to make sure that he is turned over properly. But under Florida law, DeSantis could say, you know, I need to take a further look at this and do himself some political good with Fox viewers by saying, hold up now. You can't necessarily take him and remand him to custody. Um, He does have that legal authority, right? It would put him in a position of saying, Trump, come kiss my ring if you need my help. Yeah, so um, 
Ultimately, this could be another sideshow that Trump uses to try to delay his ultimate being brought to justice. But, Joy, make no mistake, at the end of the day, if Donald Trump is prosecuted in New York state, he will have to show up in New York state court to answer those charges, the same as any other person in the United States. Cornell, that then brings us to the political question, because we've never had a president of the United States indicted. And there are, and I think a lot of people have this kind of uh, angst about this, which is that this is maybe the least of the horrible things that Donald Trump could be prosecuted for. I mean, he allegedly stole classified documents and put them in his bedroom. He caused an insurrection that got five people killed, left police officers, hundreds of them beaten. But what is the political ramification, how does this play out? Is Joe Tacopina right that prosecuting for any of this actually helps him politically? Well, no, I, I don't think he's right, but we are in uncharted uh, waters. I mean, I, I try to look back at history and, as an indicator of, of of what might happen here, and there's and there's no history of this sort of level of, of, of corruption. Look, Donald Trump's problem is 46.8. And that was a percentage of the vote he got. And and it's hard to see how Joy, he grows his 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 support by becoming an indicted becoming indicted in multiple places, right? You usually don't get indicted and more people run to support you. That's just typically not how it works. But <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a cult. I mean, the thing is, is he's got a cult, though. I mean, his. Can I just play Locker Up? Can we play that real quick? This was in two, in 2016 when he was running. Let me just play this for a second. This was the Republican National Convention. Do we have that? We may not have it. Oh, we got. Locker Up. That's right. Get. Yeah, that's right. Locker Up. Michael Cohen uh, is the, the short-term national security advisor who pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his contacts with the Russians and then later got pardoned. But, I mean, the reality is the theory of the case among Donald Trump, for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020, was that if Biden was being investigated for some criminal activity by the uh, Ukrainians, and if Hillary Clinton was indicted, that would mean their political doom. But now, you're absolutely right, they're saying the opposite. They're saying if he's indicted, though, if Trump is indicted, it makes him win. So you're, it is sort of backwards, but everything about Trump's political career is backwards. But I think it may help. Look, I, I, he he needs more people, and this doesn't help him get more people. Now, to the fact, Michael now, Flynn. If I'm, sorry, I said Michael, Republican, I'm, I'm sorry, I said I, I met Michael Flynn. Let me correct that right now. Michael Flynn, not Michael Cohen. Michael right. Flynn. So he. <laughs> so so if you're facing him in a Republican primary, I do think is is problematic because I do think it does help mobilize his his voters. Is his cult his cult following? I don't see how that. But but in a, but in a general election, you need more people, and Trump's got to get more people, and he doesn't have those people, and you don't get those people by being indicted. Does it help DeSantis if he tries to stop him from being removed to New York? That's the, the that's the million dollar question. Is because again, Joy, we're all in. Uh, these murky, these these murky waters. And if you're DeSantis, do you sit back and 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 say and don't say anything? Because one of the you know politics 101 is when your enemy is imploding, you get out of your enemy's way. So does Ron DeSantis just sit back in a cut, as it were, and let him uh, implode and don't touch it at all? If I were if I were 
now that'd be funny if I were actually working on the, the, the DeSantis campaign. But if I were working on the DeSantis campaign, Ron DeSanctimonious, I, I'm afraid I yeah. would not. I would I would tell him, don't touch this at all. There's no yeah. upside to us touching this. Yeah, I can't imagine you running the, the DeSantis campaign. You actually like black people. <laughs> Sorry, that was just me. That was just me. Paul Butler, I put that on myself. Paul Butler, <laughs> Cornell Belcher. Sorry. <laughs> Up next. <laughs> Today's Republican Party is parroting the talking points of Vladimir Putin and offering to resolve this so-called territorial dispute by handing over control of Ukraine. The readout continues after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That clip is perhaps the most memorable phrase uttered by President Ronald Reagan, which he said on June 12, 1987, standing just 100 yards away from the concrete barrier dividing East and West Germany, the Berlin Wall. Believe it or not, though, when Reagan gave that speech, it received very little media attention and few accolades. In fact, many within the Reagan administration advised against saying, tear down this wall, calling it extreme and unpresidential. It wasn't until two years later when the wall fell that it became the famous phrase that it is today, with Republicans in particular praising the moment as a triumph of presidential rhetoric. But let's not forget why the Berlin Wall was there in the first place. Its origins trace back to the years after World War II, when the Allies and the Soviet Union carved Germany in half, with the Soviets taking full control over the eastern side. The wall was built to, to prevent East Germans from fleeing, which millions were doing to escape the poverty they faced under Soviet influence and to seek freedom and opportunity in the West. But the wall was more than just a physical barrier. It was a symbol of the battle between communist totalitarianism and democracy, which divided not only Germany, but the world during the Cold War. Fast forward to today, and we are seeing a similar situation. Once again, the battle between autocracy and democracy is playing out in real time as Russia fights for control of the sovereign nation of Ukraine. And while the U.S. and other NATO countries are offering their support to Ukraine amidst the brutal ongoing war, 
You also have a lot of prominent Republican leaders arguing that maybe Russia isn't the bad guy here, including two of the leading figures in the party, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, who oppose U.S. support for Ukraine and claim the war is not in our country's vital national interests, with DeSantis indicating in an answer to a candidate survey by Putin's favorite broadcaster, Tucker Carlson, that the invasion of Ukraine is a mere territorial dispute, which just happens to be a literal Vladimir Putin talking point. And while some Republican lawmakers have pushed back against those comments, keep in mind that either Trump or DeSantis is at this point the most likely Republican nominee in 2024. And DeSantis, who has not officially announced that he's running, is already getting endorsements. But it's not just them. It's also de facto House Speaker Marjorie Taylor Greene, who used CPAC to ramp up an anti-Ukraine, anti-Ukraine rhetoric among the conservative base. Not to mention Tucker, who, just as a reminder, has previously admitted to lying to his audience of millions and who constantly parrots Kremlin talking points. Bottom line, Putin may not be winning the Ukraine war, but right now he appears to be winning the Republican presidential primary. And the pro-Russia faction of the party has seemingly abandoned this advice from the man they used to worship. We in America have learned bitter lessons from two world wars. It is better to be here ready to protect the peace than to take blind shelter across the sea, rushing to respond only after freedom is lost. We've learned that isolationism never was and never will be an acceptable response to tyrannical governments with expansionist intent. Joining me now is Mike Rogers, former Republican congressman from Michigan and former FBI special agent. Uh, Congressman, it's so great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Joyce. We had a little chance to chat beforehand, and I told you, I'm not a Reagan fan. I'll just be honest with you. My father was a big Reagan guy. I was not. I was more with my mom on the the Carter side of that. Reagan is the guy that brought me into the Republican Party. And the thing is, is that, look, I may not be a Reagan person, but what he just said is true. What happened to a party that used to stand by him and that now appears to be drifting, at least in big chunks of it, toward Putin? Well, I will say this was a bit of a gasp moment for many Republicans when two of the leading candidates, Governor Ron DeSantis included, came out and said, hey, it's not in our our national interests. That is maybe the biggest gasp moment I've heard on uh, going into the 2024 election. That isolationist, and there's a whole bunch of those folks. I mean, that isolationist strain from Ilhan Omar to now Governor DeSantis about isolationism being the way to stay out of conflict is exactly wrong. Uh, And I think uh, Ronald Reagan said it best when he talked about that uh, that isolationism will lead you into conflict if not done correctly. And this is that time for leadership. And think about it. We didn't do anything when Putin went into uh, the country of Georgia. He invaded Georgia and we said, oh, it's really not none of our business. Uh, he invaded uh, Crimea. We said, oh, it's none of our business. Remember, it, he'll stop sometime. Uh, he hit Latvia with a, an excre- extremely aggressive cyber attack. We all said, well, that's we'll send him a sternly worded memo. Uh, and then he decided because of our inaction, our notion that, hey, if we just leave everyone alone, they'll leave us alone. It just simply isn't true. And it's dangerous. It led us into World War Two. That kind of philosophy. It gave us 9-11 with that philosophy. Uh, And guess what? China and Russia are moving out on the international state. I have never seen a time in our history, Joy, with this many threat vectors coming into the country. And this is the wrong time to take that tack. Well, I I can argue with you with some of that. Uh, We did in 2014 (laughs) uh, implement sanctions against 
uh, Russia because of what they did in Crimea. It's not, it's not as if we haven't done nothing, right? There have been mm-hmm. actions that were taken on an international level. So I would argue with that, and we can hold debate yeah, about Ilan Omar. We'll, let's let's come back and argue we'll about, about that. that. But, but I definitely want to zero <laughs> on the Republican Party because yeah. this is a fundamental change. You can argue that there have been people in the Democratic Party in the past that have said, you know, we need to do, I mean, I was against the Iraq war, full stop, right? That this is not something I thought that we should have been doing. But now what you're seeing is people who used to be for the Iraq war are now on my side when it comes to things like promoting democracy, believing in democracy. You were in the FBI. Mm -hmm. We have Republicans in the House right now who want to defund the FBI. They, there have been attacks literally on FBI agents because they were serving a warrant, a duly issued warrant on the former president, Donald Trump, because he took classified documents home. The, the Republican Party has shifted, at least at the base level, against law enforcement, um, against mm. the free market, toward yeah. things like taking over Disney and in ordering them to change policies, suing cruise ship companies in Florida, what DeSantis has done to say, you can't have your own policy on masks and COVID. They've shifted toward big, 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 big government and toward things like defunding the FBI. What happened? There are some misfires in the, in, in the party. And there is, I think, a, a collision of some ideas on this. I think this is a shake ourselves out of it moment. Uh, and I say that because of this threat, this growing threat from a strategic competitor, China, that has openly said that they're coming after the United States. They're teaching their kids quantum mechanics in middle school. Last year, half, half of our high school seniors couldn't read at the sixth grade level. We have this huge competition going. My argument is America has always performed better when we understand that what our way of life is threatened and is at risk. And I argue it is, and I think this is the time we can mm-hmm. come back, push out that isolationist message. And I think it's nobody's talked about it. When's the last time you heard a, a national speech on why we should be engaged in the world? But, I can't but tell you it, the it last It wouldn't time. go over well. I can tell you it wouldn't go over well among your party because there is a big Some chunk in my of party. I don't think it's all in our party. I think it's there's a big a, chunk. I it's think there chunk. is a growing number of people who are growing concerned about this isolationist wing of the I party. I think there are some. Let me ask you though, some very specific things. On po- Just when you poll some of the things that are taking place as the Republican Party focuses on culture wars, the majority of people oppose the idea of banning certain books in classrooms. This is a 76% position. Uh, they say abortion should be legal, 64%. Transgender people should be protected from discrimination. Two-thirds of people say that. Gun law should be more strict. Almost two-thirds, 58%. You can go on and on, uh, you know, opposing attacks on trans youth, et cetera. And yet what you're seeing among the people who are ascendant in the party, like DeSantis, is attacks on schools, is attacks on teachers, is banning drag shows. What is a governor doing, yeah. you know, <laughs> taking the uh, a private business's liquor license because they had RuPaul's Drag Race do a tour there? Like, it seems like government is getting bigger. Attacks on abortion are getting, they're not like we want to leave it to the states. It's yeah. like we're going to ban this nationwide. Yeah, I, I think you're talking about the, the uh, a smaller lane in the Republican. Is it small, though? I do. And here's the thing. We have to remember that there's a difference between tolerance of those who are different and LGBTQ community members uh, and what some in some schools have been happening where people believe that they've taken the rights of parents away to make those kinds of decisions for their oh, kids. Good, and, yeah. and I think that's a yeah. big difference. I and I think we're, we're going to have to work through I that. I love that you said that, because here's my question. If I am an African-American parent and I had uh, black kids in Florida schools and I say I want my kids to read The Bluest Eye, why does an organization like Moms for Liberty have the right to say, no, that book gets banned? Or if I'm a parent of an but, LGBTQ kid, But as a parent, kid, you would have the right to have that book in your house? But that's not what's happening. What you're seeing is groups like Moms for Liberty saying, no kid can have this book, ban it. 
They're not saying that Banned my from the school rights, library is what they're saying, but they're right? Saying they're, they're saying that they want, they want to be able to control How the access that of that material. Well, well, why should they control it and not me? I have kids there. But too. you can get that book at home. If you want to have that book at home, they you can get, get to get decide that book what's in school. That means only some parents have but, rights. But I mean, you could make this, you could take this argument to the extreme and say, well, then everything should be available. Let them get on pornography sites on uh, when they're, they're learning. They're, they're, but but I'm just saying, what you have to say is there is a line for this. It can't be one group that decides, right? You agree with that, that it can't well, be one I, ideological I think the parents in a community need to make these decisions. That's not who's deciding. It's Moms for Liberty. Well, I, you know, listen, they, they, they have the influence in a school, and they should have the ability to go in and but say parents like me these things. Do, right? Yeah, you can have that debate. Yeah. But my argument is your beliefs and my and my, a parent belief in the school who happens right. to be different, yeah. you can come to a place where you don't have to have either mm-hmm. one of those exposed to the kids. You can do it at home. Let and me, guess what? The best education you can get happens at home. Parents, parents don't have time. That, that, we can have that. I want to have you back to talk about this. But last question I have for you before I let you go. Are you going to run for president? Uh, well, this interesting question. I have had a lot of people reach out and talk to me. I have spent a lot of time through this organization, LeadAmerica.org, that my wife and I founded in places like Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina. And I will say it's encouraging. I do think people are ready for something different. They know that something does is not feel right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are the Republicans that I have not uh, stood up and, and, and been heard uh, about. Hey, listen, we're, this is the, the party uh, of liberty and freedom. It's yeah. about lower taxes, less regular. All of those things that we all believe in as conservatives. Right. I think people are ready for a message that gets us back to understanding. Are you open we to have the Senate race as well? Very quick. Senate race, maybe. Uh, I've, you know, never say never in politics, yeah, okay. but uh, we'll see. I hope that you will come back and let me know, because one of the things I think needs to come back to Republicanism are nice people. I think there's nothing wrong with being. We can disagree. There's nothing wrong with being a nice guy. Well, I always say, listen, if you're going to love your country, you have to love your countrymen, even the ones you disagree with. Thank you very much. Ah, I appreciate you coming in. We'll come back and we'll debate more. I I really appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Former Republican Congressman Mike Rogers. Okay, still ahead. A high stakes hearing in Texas today as a Trump appointed judge listens to arguments surrounding a potential nationwide ban on abortion medication. We will give you a live report with the latest next. Thank you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. The next phase of the abortion fight arrived with a vengeance today. In Texas, a judge appointed by Donald Trump heard arguments in a lawsuit that aims to force an abortion pill off the market. The medication was approved by the FDA more than 20 years ago. It has a safety record of more than 99 percent. 
Its removal would mark the most damaging ruling to reproductive rights since Dobbs by blocking access to the pill nationwide, even in states where medication abortion is legal. Medication abortion accounts for more than half of all U.S. abortions. The extremely safe and effective medication is used to induce abortion and to manage miscarriage or early pregnancy loss, which can, by the way, be life-threatening. Joining me now is Cecile Richards, co-chair of American Bridge and former president of Planned Parenthood. Cecile, it is great to see you, uh, even under these circumstances. You know, it it strikes me, one of uh, the the producer, the great producer who produced this segment, pointed out that, you know, this drug, mefepristone, is literally safer than Viagra. And, And you can't imagine a world in which a federal judge would say, we're gonna see if we can pull the FDA approval of Viagra. But they feel they can do it to women. And they are trying. What are you? Are, how, how worried are you about this ruling? Oh, look! You, I think you laid out the case there, Joy, really well. This is incredible. This case should have never even been taken. Uh, this is there. In fact, the anti-abortion lawyers who were arguing this case today before this Trump-appointed judge said there is absolutely no precedent for a federal judge taking away approval of a drug that is safe, that is effective, that is you said have been has been in use for now 22 years. Um, this is all about ending access to medication abortion across the country. It's the most commonly used uh, form of, of abortion. And it would mean, of course, that it doesn't matter what state you live in, uh, even in states where abortion is completely legal. If this judge takes this radical action by removing FDA approval or telling the FDA you can no longer, this drug is no longer approved, it could mean the end of this access uh, all across America. 64 and a half million women um, losing access overnight. And and just to make the audience really understand what that means, that means women will die. I mean, carrying dead fetal tissue inside of you will kill you. And right now, women who are forced to do that in states like Texas and uh, in Florida and states that are anti-abortion states can go to another state. A lot of them are going to places like North Carolina. They're going further north. You know, if they're in a red state, they try to go to a blue state. If if then you have to you can't get it there. Can you just imagine what the lines will be like outside of places where you have to get a medical abortion because this drug is, you know, even if they appeal it, that will take time. This drug will be gone everywhere, right? Correct. No, and that's, I mean, you know, you just saw, I'm sure you read about the story, the the, uh, report in in Texas, five women who had pregnancies that were desperately wanted, that went wrong, who could not get care in the state of Texas. Some of them had to leave the state to get care. Um, And it is so you're right. We're risking the the health and lives of women everywhere. Uh, and the reaction of the Republican Party seems to be, well, that's their problem uh, or somehow it's the doctor's responsibility. Meanwhile, what we're seeing across the country, it's getting worse, Joy. Not only this case in Texas, but of course, Ron DeSantis, uh, governor of Florida, has now endorsed a, a basically a full on abortion ban in the state of Florida. Uh, We saw the South Carolina legislators, Republicans there, introducing legislation that would that would allow women to be punished as by with a death penalty if they ended a pregnancy. I mean, it is it is getting worse uh, before it's getting better. And clearly, the Republicans have not listened to women anywhere. It, it is um, this judge is the other issue. His name is Matthew Kaczmarek. Uh, he's a Trump appointed judge. 
the secrecy around this hearing, the fact that he, you know, tried to kind of make it difficult for reporters to get in to find out when it was going to be. Uh, he seemed to want this hearing to almost take place in, in secret. Um, it, it wasn't easy to eat. There's no there's no audio. We can't even hear what the arguments sound like. What do you make of the fact that people like him, people like Alito, they feel that they have a right to take women's bodily autonomy away and we don't even get to listen to them do it. They feel that they are I don't know. It's a sense of superiority over us, I guess. Well, it's it's power and control over women. Let's be honest. I mean, that's what all of this is about. And I, I do think it's really interesting, Joy, that they the the right wing now and the Republicans are using the judicial system, a Supreme Court that they stacked, the federal judiciary that they stacked, because they can't win uh, at the ballot box. Because as we know, whenever voters have the chance to actually vote on whether they believe abortion should be a decision that a pregnant person makes, not the government, we win. And we saw that in Kansas overwhelmingly defeated uh, Montana, Kentucky, conservative Republican states. So it is really is it's it's being done under the under a secrecy sort of cloak of, of uh, secrecy, but also because it's against what the American people want. Poll yeah. after poll yeah. showing that. Um, and it's but I don't think the Republican Party is listening. They're stealing women's liberty. And they're doing it in secret um, and trying to force a right-wing ideology on an America that doesn't want it. And, and I don't know what else you can call that, but fascism. I, I, you know, I can't keep reminding people enough. Cecile Richards, thank you. Uh, keep fighting the good fight. Appreciate you being it's, here. Uh, thank you. Thanks. Coming up next, Republicans' relentless assault on voting rights continues in key swing states and in the Supreme Court. State of disunion is next. You know we're in a state of disunion when politicians are actively trying to suppress the vote. We've just barely gotten past the midterms, and Republican gerrymandering is in full swing. With up to 29 seats in 14 states already at risk of being redrawn, according to The New York Times. Yesterday, the North Carolina Supreme Court heard a case reconsidering a Republican map, one that was already struck down for being unconstitutionally unconstitutional beyond a reasonable doubt. But during the 2022 midterms, North Carolina voters flipped the court to a conservative majority. And now, in a highly unusual move, they are ignoring precedent, taking the case up again. North Carolina is one of the swingiest swing states. President Biden only lost there by one point in 2020. In last year's midterms, using a court-appointed map, Republicans and Democrats won an equal number of congressional districts, seven each. But under the Republican proposed map, Republicans could win up to 11 of those seats, leaving Democrats with only three. It appears that this conservative court is champing at the bit to reinstate this map, with Politico noting that they signaled a degree of hostility toward the groups defending the current map. But North Carolina is far from the only place in a state of disunion. What's happening in Alabama is even more egregious. It's straight up racism. Alabama has one of the highest black population percentages in the country, 27 percent. But their Republican-drawn redistricting map only has one district that's majority black, meaning that 27 percent of the population is represented by only 14 percent of the state's districts. That map was used in the midterms, with that district electing the state's only Democratic Congress member. Challengers sued the state, arguing that the map violates the Voting Rights Act, 
which has been one of Chief Justice John Roberts' longtime dreams to invalidate. The court heard arguments last fall, and the conservative justices seem to be leaning towards upholding this map. The case is called Merrill versus Milligan. And up next, we will talk to the lead plaintiff himself, Evan Milligan. Legal Defense Fund President and Director Counsel Janae Nelson joins me now, along with Evan Milligan, Executive Director of Alabama Forward and Plaintiff in Merrill versus Milligan. Thanks, you, thank you both for being here. Uh, I had the honor of, of meeting you, uh, Evan, uh, when I was recently in Selma and we were on a panel together. And I want you to, to give the, our, my audience the education you gave me about this case and why you um, are a plaintiff in it. Sure, it's great to be with you again, Joy. Hi, Janae. Uh, well, this Hi. case to me is about is about love for people who live in the Black Belt region of of the United States, uh, particularly the Black Belt of Alabama, where I was raised. But I happen to be born in the Black Belt area of East Texas uh, in, in Houston. It's where my father was from, and I, I mean, just by luck of the draw, my parents were, were people who taught me to love Black people through activism. And so that that was a legacy that I grew up around, just like many other people in my part of the country. And as I became an adult um, and was choosing a career path, I, I've just been really, you know, invested in justice oriented work and in work that improves the conditions of people living throughout Alabama's poorest communities. And so that led to us being involved in redistricting work in 2021. And as a result of that, we were able to get to know the legal defense fund attorneys and other attorneys who were on the ground working alongside community members and organizers. So when it was time to challenge the state's map, it was a really easy decision to work with the legal defense fund to do that. Yeah. And, you know, today the, the question is, is it a winnable case? I mean, the arguments were made, I think, last last October. Um, but, you know, we know that, you know, the supposed moderate among the, the, the conservative wing is John Roberts, who has a long history of seeming to despise the Voting Rights Act, going back to when he was a Reagan lawyer. So it's hard for me to construct which five members of the Supreme Court would actually rule in, flav in favor of Black Alabamians. Am I being too pessimistic? Listen, I think your read of the court is correct. Uh, I will say that this case is absolutely winnable. In fact, it is a slam dunk case on the merits. You, you almost can't look at that map and look at the facts underlying it and see anything other than a racial gerrymander. We have a population of Alabama where uh, Black people occupy roughly 27% of the population, and yet they are relegated to have an opportunity to elect a candidate of their choice in only one of seven congressional districts. So, you know, the math alone suggests what we were able to prove through a very extensive record, and that is that Black people are being packed into a single district in Alabama, and there is a a, a direct effort to limit their political power. And this court should and can rule in our favor quite easily. And I hope that it will. And, and you know, Evan, what does this do uh, to voters? Because, you know, every election year, people say, oh, look at, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, look at the low voter turnout. But when, you know, Mississippi also only has one black uh, member of Congress, because there is this strategy in these southern states of finding all the black people, drawing a big circle around them and saying, you get one Congress people, we get the rest. And that's what you're obviously fighting in this case. What does that do when you go out yeah. and say to people, hey, you should turn out and vote when they're being told by their government, 
your vote doesn't count. We're packing you all in so that you really can't have a say. It forces us to find motivation when we're speaking to audiences in our communities that don't rely only in overnight change of quality of life. And so for for many of the community members that we're engaging, they're saying, well, you want me to believe these things about government here in Alabama that I've never seen. And, you know, one thing that we constantly try to encourage people to do is, well, look, let's follow the money and think about rooms. There are certain rooms that you want to be in and there's certain there's certain money being spent to keep you out of those rooms. So if if you know, if we think of the ballot box as one of those rooms, why is there so much intense um, investment in these measures to to challenge, you know, the basic fundamentals of exercising the right to vote? And so we really try to encourage those who feel a little jaded to think about some of the interests that may that may be profiting and benefiting from them sitting on the sidelines. And we think our our case is a good illustration that, you know, it, it should be a slam dunk case under under our, our laws. Um, and the fact that this would even be a question and, and let alone space for the state to make some of the arguments that it's making is a is a great lit, litmus test as far as where we are now and how many more people we need to join us in pushing and join yeah. us in understanding, you know, the the where we are as far as a country right now. When they try to take your vote away from you, just vote more. Uh, because obviously there's a reason they don't want you to do it. I, Janae, I do want to ask you this closing question. There is this question of contagion. There is another case uh, that's coming up for the Supreme Court, and it's the state legislature case that would basically allow states to, you know, set aside the will of the people um, and, and sub, 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 substitute them with their own electors, which is what Trump tried to do. Is there a concern in your view and in the view of the LDF that if this case doesn't go the right way, there could be a contagion and the Supreme court might feel free to rule the wrong way in that case. Yeah, I think that we have to be very cautious about all of these cases that uh, put our democracy in the hands of a court that we know um, might be politicized at this point. But I do think that there is enough constitutional doctrine to force the court to do the right thing. And the Moore versus Harper case should be determined um, and, and the Merrill versus Milligan case should be determined the right way by these members of the court. Let's see if that happens. Evan Milligan and Janae Nelson, thank you both very much. Appreciate you. And that is tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.